0: Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I gave it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the lick. You have a problem with that. And now, here your host, Rocky LaFleur. Everybody on? Good, great, grand, wonderful. No yelling on the butt. Josh Webb. Sorry I had a fight, Melia, but party. And Jake Latagas. And bad news. Also starring Rob Groom.
1: I bet you spice into the woods a hundred bucks.
0: And Bradley Ramsey. Bill Martin insane. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Duck South studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me today recording on Tuesday. This time on Thursday, Ramsey, you will be sitting at the other end of the world, correct?
1: Yes, sir. I'll be in South Africa, Rocky. Fine. I've been home long enough. I've done got antsy. I'm ready to move again. We're going. We're going to uh, going to the dark continent, South Africa. And I've been there twice, but I'm really looking forward to this trip.
0: Now, South Africa. You know, I'm I'm trying to think of who I saw pictures from. They were waterfowl hunting in South Africa last year. Shoot. Jim, was it Jim?
1: Yeah, Jim, Jim, uh, Jim Cruz and Allison, and took their children down to the Republic of South Africa to bird hunt. We we
0: watched, we've been
1: we've been running a hunt down there since 2012. I didn't and, know that. Uh, yeah, yeah, we we man, check it out, six continents. South Africa's one of them. Uh, we we duck hunt on. We've been down there. My first trip was in. Two thousand eleven maybe. We just scout the place out and it's wonderful, 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 wonderful. And it's not just duck hunting now, don't it's not just duck hunting, it's wing shooting. It's a paradise. The particular hunt they go on, we shoot ducks, we shoot geese, we shoot guinea fowl, we shoot doves and pigeons, uh hunt hunt the Franklin over pointers, day to day big adventure and it's wonderful hunting. Besides all that, you're in Africa. It's really kind of cool, you know. You're driving down this road, and freaking them little blue ball monkeys go running out across or baboons, or or you drive along, you look and you're over the trees are giraffes peering down at you, you know, or or you're easing out along, and 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 uh, some of them some of them guinea uh, some of them guinea fowl hunters are hemming up the guinea fowl to drive over, you freaking spring bucks <laughs> squirting out all the, all, you know, across the line, you know, it's it's an adventure, and I I, I looked now the first time I went. Scout that hunt. I joined a team. I think they were out of Dallas, somewhere out of Texas. In sports, and they were doing a big old plains game hunt. And then they came over there and hunted where I was hunting for a week. And we bird hunted, and uh, they were some dandy guys. Now, uh, a little intimidating, you know, 'cause there I was, in my old hunting clothes, you know, mostly waxed cotton and. Man, they 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 were stepping out every morning looking like the cover of an Orvis magazine, you know, catalog or something. Uh, but we had a really good time, and, and I just, throughout the week, I noticed some of them were stepping out and coming back with a zebra or coming back with a critter. I woke up one morning thinking to myself, man, you know, I am in Africa. I may not come back. Who knows? You know, I really ought to shoot something. It's Africa. I love to shoot bird, but this is Africa. I mean, I, maybe i ought to go <clears throat> go out and shoot something. So I talked to uh, Nathan Askew, to so he helped me set this hunt up. A lot of y'all know him through Bullets of as He he does does really good plains game hunts over there. Uh, matter of fact, he's hunting in five countries. He hunts a lot of countries, dangerous game and everything else over there. But, but I, I called Na, Nathan at breakfast that morning before we went out to go past shoot spurwing geese. And I asked him, I said Nathan, if I want to go out and shoot an animal, and he told me about some of the animals that were available nearby. But he said, Randy, what I would recommend you shoot would be a black wildebeest because they're really big right here. They're they're really good animals and they're cheap. That's what I'd recommend you go hunt. So I don't remember what everybody was going to hunt that afternoon. It wasn't something that I, you know, doves or something like that. And I decided to pass, and I said, I told old boy, one of the sons of the place we we're at I said, hey, be okay to go out after lunch and shoot a black wildebeest. He said, Oh yeah, 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 mate, we'll go we'll go grab one. So I, I think he had a thirty off six bolt action. Some of y'all may know or not dope, no, but I but I used to back before ducks, I used to really like shooting critters. Went down to those ranches down in Texas and, you know, had virtually nothing to do to exterminate antlers deer. That was kind of my job description. We had plenty to do work-wise, you know, planting food plots and fixing windmills and hanging barbed wire fence and all that kind of stuff. But but other than that, we were, you know, 30 miles behind a locked gate, hit the blacktop, take a left, you're 60 miles from Mexico, take a right, you're 30 miles from the nearest wide spot in the road called Corrito Spring. I mean, you're in virtually the middle of nowhere. There was nothing to do but ride around the ranch and shoot deer countless deer. And we used to like that. Like Didn't make no money, man, but I'd, I'd, spend, I'd spend my afternoons <clears throat> reloading bullets, drinking beer and reloading bullets and go out and shoot them. And I won't say how many deer I shot those two semester, but it was a bunch, a whole bunch, it was intensive whitetail deer management, trophy deer management. And so uh, And I had not done that in a long, long time shot a few deer, you know, a couple of meat deer, something like that, take the boys hunting, but I just had a big deer hunt, so I'm down in Africa. We decided we're going to go out to this, you know, it's all high fenced, now don't get me wrong, this is is not Lion King Africa, maybe Tanzania or something, this is South Africa, and it's kind of like South Texas, It's, it's all high fenced, I mean everywhere the whole country of South Africa is high fenced, but not 100 acres, think 30,000 acres, 70,000 acres, 100,000 acres of these massive game farm ranches. So we go out to one, and we're fooling around, hanging out. And uh I think the herd knew it, and he told me, he said, there's a really good bullet here I want you to shoot. And they come stampeding by us, and I saw him. Oh, He stuck out like a sore thumb. You, you knew which one the, the big daddy was. So off we go walking. Two, three miles maybe. Hot in blazes. You know, Africa's one in places it's, it's cool in the mornings, uh, 40 degrees. And then it, when that sun comes out, it bakes you. And it may only be 78 degrees. So it's great in the shade. You step out in that sun and it just beats down on you. That humidity ain't, don't make you wither like it does around here, but still it, it it'll get up 70, 80, 90 degrees. You'll break a sweat. We are walking and walking and walking and
0: walking.
1: <clears throat> Finally, I mean, where they at? Whereas we walk along and see this little old animal called a blood buck. And, I, and I, I said, well, crap, what is that? And he goes, you yeah, know, I knew what it was, a blood buck. And he goes, I go, is that a good one? And he goes, yeah, that's, that's, that's a pretty good one. I said, well, screw them to base I'm going to shoot him. Let's go to the house. Oh. Roll him. The minute I pulled the trigger, we hear the thunder of hooves. and There goes them beasts. Well, now we see them. We we go. We leave him, mark him down. The bless, but we go a little bit, and out there about 150 yards, got big old herd of wildebeests looking at us. Set the, set the sticks up. Shoot off tripod there. That you know, standing up fully, you just proper gun up on the and very stable. I couldn't believe how stable it was. But as I'm looking, I see that bull he steps out kinda of towards the end and uh on the edge of the herd. But I mean, he's right between me and the setting sun. Exactly between I mean it's just so when I when I put my scope up, the sun's like just coming right into the glass. So I Hold my left hand way, way out in a fine shade to knock the glare off of it. I'm good and stable, and, I, and understand. I just kind of offhand shot this blazbuck with a barred thirty out six, and now this is a little bit longer shot, so I'm getting into it. You know, triggers are, are different. Like, like my two seventy, um, I I shot that little Ruger two seventy since practically right after high school. My old right trigger finger is, is foo barred. It got all fused up, my own, little short stubby thing. So you know, I bend it at the knuckle, the main knuckle on the fist knuckle. You know, it don't creep like a regular finger. And I noticed in junior college when I was dialing that gun in that the further out I got, the more that gun would creep to the right. And I realized it was just the way my little old finger was pulling the trigger. And that's back in the good old days. I knew a gunsmith went to him. And he filed away on the internal that trigger and got it. I mean, it, but buddy, when I say it's a hair trigger, zero creep, two and a half pound crisp. as can be, and you know, a lot of grown men that have borrowed that gun, it unnerves them to shoot it. My wife and daughter can shoot it because it don't. They don't know any better. But you know, and then on the other hand, my three hundred. It, it's a. It's a standard trigger, and I've shot it enough now for for shoot twenty five years, but it's like you, you when you bear down and you really squeeze you squeeze it's got it's got a pretty good creep in it, but let me you feel it stop you feel you feel that you feel that creep stop, and then you're just you're just a breath from that gun going off it's perfect you know a barred gun you don't know how that trigger you. so I've got my I've got my hand shading the scope, and I've got it dialed in on that wildebeest. You know, the interesting thing about African animals, I've learned, is their heart ain't where a whitetails is. You know, you kind of aim aim low, a little bit behind that front leg, boom, dial into the heart. It ain't where an African animal is. He he is, you go right up front leg, he's profiled to you, and between his brisket and his back, Dead, dead center mass is where those hearts are on those African animals. Every one of them, all the plains game, center mass, right up from the front leg. And they're just sitting there looking at me. I start to squeeze, and I start to squeeze, and I start to squeeze, trying not to pay attention to, to a, a strange trigger. I'm just squeezing. And right before it's too late to take it back, I noticed through the glass that he shifted his weight. The gun went off. A little bit to the right on him, a little far back. And I heard a whop. I, said, oh, I knew it. Off the herd goes. He wasn't laying down like that bled buck. He was gone. And pro hunter said, "You get it?" I said, "You didn't hear it." He go, well, "I heard something." I go, "Yeah, yeah I think I gut shot him. he sh- he just he, he he shifted his weight right before that gun went off off we go in hot pursuit now we walk another two and a half three miles and we finally catch up with him and her sitting there looking at us about hundred yards away when we come around that little little hill little rock pile whatever that was he ain't hanging around this time but he they 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 all look at us he 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 starts he starts trotting away but he's in real slow motion he's hurting I both one in I'm sticking it up my a guy, he's a hundred yards, he's hundred fifty yards, hundred in and, and, and the, and, every, and I'm sitting there getting my leg done to get my gun all bolted, you know, and, and he and he, he give me a play-by-play going through his range finder. Mr. Russell, a hundred seventy-five yards, and that well, about hundred seventy-five yards. This whole thing, he done, he done gained the steam. He, he he's he's kind of going now. He he done propelled himself forward. He gets out there about two hundred twenty-five yards. When I'm finally set up, I put it on, boom, shoot. He tumbles. That boy looked back at me and go. He says, "Holy cow!" He he he, he said, "Um, uh, Mister Russell, I I I thought you said you couldn't shoot a rifle." He set it up perfectly, Rocky. He set it up. He, you know, not many people know that I shot a lot of bullets down in Texas and Mississippi back in the day. A lot of them. And he he set it up so perfectly. I couldn't. I, my favorite Hollywood line ever was Tom Selleck and Quigley down under. At the end of the show, you remember he had that little got that pistol fight with that guy and shot shot the bad guy. And the guy said, I didn't think you could shoot a pill. He said, I didn't say I couldn't shoot one. I just said I didn't have no use for one. And I I threw that line at that at that guy and he bust out laughing. He seen the movie too. And and you know, so I got got a couple of big game animals and we continued on bird hunting. I really had a, it, it was such an amazing trip. Africa is an amazing, it really is an amazing country. It it, it it is more animals and birds and upland and waterfowl diversity and animals and critters. It's like going to Disneyland for rifle and gun enthusiasts because so there are, it's a target-rich environment. And, and you know that.
0: You're flying to Johannesburg, right? Yeah. That's the only bad thing
1: about the whole trip. All
0: right, so a lot of people are thinking about this as they listen to us talk about South Africa. You know, one of the things that's going on down there, and and I'm asking, is the media overblowing what's going on down there with with these uh, kind of revolutionaries coming in and taking these, Landowners, the white landowners,
1: now, property. That, I don't think. I don't think. I don't think it is. I, I don't think. Uh, right now, South Africa hasn't hasn't been quite as susceptible to it. That's happening over in some other countries, here, some places like that. It, it is. It and and buddy, the media's not really going into depth about what's going on over there. That apartheid thing they kicked off um, was not good. Because you got to understand, you know, European countries. Moved into South Africa over a century ago. It was colonized by different parts, you know, different countries, different European countries, and developed and uh, agriculture. I mean, like the place we were hunting where Jim Cruz went, um, that 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 farm was third-generation Dutch farmers. You know, and and politically, slowly but surely, it's it's going to be. Taken apart, probably not in South Africa as drastically or as abruptly as it was done. I believe it was in Zaire, where uh, uh, president President ran on a platform. <clears throat> it wasn't worded this way, but it's like redistribution of wealth. That sound familiar to anybody? Uh, he ran on a platform right there, and and basically just said, uh, "You old landowners." White landowners can't own businesses in my country anymore, and you can't own property in my country anymore. And the government just condemned it all. And do you know that that country was the breadbasket of Africa? Some overwhelming amount of agricultural exports came from that little country in Africa. And now their neighbor neighbors because all landowners moved out next door and set up shops. Now, it's the new breadbasket of of Africa. Uh, I I don't know. You know, I've I've talked about this. I stay abreast of things like this. Right now, it it, it is still a very safe and stable, very, like, country. It really is. Um, And and besides that, a lot of the landowners that a lot of these actual hunts take place on um, are native landowners. I mean they are, you know, a different color. They're, they're not they're not all just white landowners. You know, it's a very it's a very it's a very uh diverse land ownership. Um, you know, even preceding apartheid, you know, um there are a lot of folks that did well. I shot a spring buck a couple of years ago. We went spring buck hunting on the vice president of South Africa's property. Who was next door to the property we were hunting, a massive landholders. So it's not I know there's a lot of stuff going on. What the future holds is anybody's guess, but right now it's still safe and stable. And um, going down that first time to Africa, I had, a, I had a really cool time. I shot a lot of neat species, but I didn't get them all. I, I didn't get near, I didn't, I didn't really scrape much at all of, of what I went down there for. There's a there's a bird down there, probably one of the most generic waterfowl species called the yellowbill. And, uh, it, it's one of the, it, it, it's a, it, it's very similar to the, uh, mallard. It, 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 it's part of what I call the mallard complex. Which, um you got the mallard, you got the American black ducks, you've got the model ducks, you've got the Mexican mallard. Those are the familiar species here in the U.S. You go over to Asia, you've got the eastern spot bill. You go down to Australia, you've got the Pacific black duck. Um you go to South Africa, you've got the yellow bill. Oh, heck yeah, I've got a mallard duck pack a uh, matter call pack both times bang 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 there they come you can call them in uh but there's a lot of cool species down there. a lot of teal. uh a lot a lot of cool species down in africa and i, I was going through a um waterfowl of the world book i'm just a little little bird book i travel with i was going through the other day making notes and catching up with it and everything else and you know of the of the huntable species and i'll never get them all but, but of the, of the, the, the huntable waterfowl species that aren't endangered, that aren't threatened, that aren't extinct, that, that aren't protected or something. I mean, really and truly the, the last big frontier for me, scratching off a bunch of birds, not for the collecting purposes, but just for the experience purpose, it, it is down in Africa. And, uh, and that's what we hope to accomplish this year. i I've, I've, I'm, uh, working through two new prospective partners. The, the the first stop we're going to will be um they're gonna pick us up in joburg that's the worst part i, I, I despise I, I just hate that city I, it's just just imagine uh, uh, Chula, Mississippi the size of chicago that's joburg as far as i'm concerned so it's got some <laughs> beautiful areas it's, it's got some beautiful areas but uh, i didn't lose nothing in joburg uh but once you get out it becomes very beautiful, and uh, the countryside and the habitats and the mountains, and um, it's, just, it's just gorgeous. But we're actually going to head south. Over a period of six days, we're going to make three stops. You know, geese in the morning, ducks in the afternoon, driven guinea fowl. Pigeon. How far is the drive from Johannesburg? Oh, uh, how how far will we drive?
0: Yeah, cumulatively
1: yeah. we'll probably we'll probably end up cumulatively uh, six to eight hours south. You know, by moving every two or three days. Um, and I'll say this: I love I love shooting those ducks and geese. But but I'm gonna say you this right now, Rocky: I would go to Africa just to shoot those guinea fowl. That was the most fun wing shooting I've ever done, and you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, you see 'em out there in the country. Some of these farmers keep them was like a watchdog of 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 of, of the of the uh, farm, you know, or these guinea fowl, little old, little old black and white, little speckled birds, you know, run around with a ugly blue and blue and red head. And when we went out there the first time, those boys will staff and the helpers will run out, you know, You, you will get in a line, and they'll jump out ahead in the cover and make like a big old purse saying. Just start kind of closing in, closing in, closing in, and I remember one drive we made back in 11 or 12 when I was down there. <clears throat> you could see hundreds of these birds beginning to assemble out in the big, kind of in the center, that little purse saying, human purse saying they were making, and then they started driving them towards us. And I was shocked. If you had told me that a guinea fowl could fly 50 miles an hour, I was shocked. When they when they it was like cannonballs coming over 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 the shooting line when they started flying, it, it was fun, and they eat good. It was fun. I mean, no son of a gun coming right over, and I, I know I know the first. Half dozen more that flew over me that first shoot. I I was shooting a foot behind them. I, I was just shocked. Very susceptible. Got short wings, big bodies, and uh, they they don't appear to be flying as fast as they are, but they are. And it was it was just a riot. I I had so much fun doing that. And um, but so we're gonna make six days of that uh, geese and ducks, Franklin. Probably an afternoon of pigeons, driven guinea fowl. I've told them the one thing we do not want to shoot is doves. They've got three, three species of doves and you go out and hunt them just like you hunt doves everywhere in a grain field. Set up little blinds and shoot doves, laughing doves, turtle doves, some other kind of dove. <clears throat> it's dove hunt. We don't want to do that. And, um, shooting waterfowl over decoys, shooting geese and the way they decoy those geese. We'll be shooting Egyptian geese and spur-wing geese. Spur-wing goose is uh, the largest or second largest goose in the world, and and an ugly boy. Maybe that maybe that that big magpie goose in in Australia is uglier, but not by much. I mean, just born ugly goose, and they they got these big old gnarly two-inch spurs on their wings, and but how how we hunt those is we'll again be on a form of shooting line down a stretch, you know, usually over a big reservoir and we'll be decoying them peanut field normally, but the decoys will be behind a hundred yards, big profiles. And and that's just so when those birds are coming up off that lake to feed, they'll, they'll zone in on those decoys and, and begin that ascent right over. It's usually 20 to 40 yards high. And I, I really uh don't like a tea it. I know people like to shoot birds paddles down where it's just like shooting a poster hanging on the water, like shooting the T V in your den. This is fun. I really like that kind of shoot. Very challenging and it's fun. Uh, but we're gonna end up on that six days down near the country of Zulu land, which is another province in South Africa. And there we're going to jump over and meet another outfitter for three days. That hunt is going to be less decoying, no geese, and more jump shoot, um, spot and stalk type stuff. You know, we'll pick up a lot of species on the classic hunt, but then we're going to visit another outfitter, and he does decoy and hunts. He does decoy and hunts, but there, we're, we're really going to be more specific, tar, you know, target specific um, of, of what we're hunting and, and how we're hunting. It's going to be more of an acquisition um, hunt for clients. And the hunt we've been working on for years, the, the, the real downside, and again, as a reminder, I don't collect species, but my clients do. And one of the huge downsides historically of hunting in South Africa for birds has been that the export paperwork is in the hands of the local taxidermist. And the outfitter we've been working with for many, many years successfully, that that, that, that taxidermist is not going to just rubber stamp and let those and ship those skins to America. he will do that with big game for some reason, but not with birds. And they do, they, they, they mount good animals. Hand good hides in Africa. They do not mount good birds. In fact, I will tell you from personal experience that I, I, I would literally uh, prop a duck up on a fence post and let it sun dry before I paid a South African tachydermist to mount another bird. It's horrible, beyond horrible. And uh, nothing's right about it. It's not prepared properly. I've seen them rot years later. It's just horrible. So several years ago, one of my partner and outfitters Approached me and and we sat down, had dinner, and and talked and everything else. And he, and I, I, I was very interested in this program he's got. But I told him, I said, Mike, I'm I'm interested on one condition. Because what I said, I want to legally bring the birds into the United States. I want them to be exported. I do not want to leave them in Africa, nor do my clients. I said, Show me, show me the paperwork. I'll come visit you. Two years later, he comes by, and we sit down at my booth, and he pulls out a dossier, and here's how it is, here's how it's laid out. he got a tax term, on board, blam, 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 he says, we'll skin them, salt them, leave them, boom, he'll ship them over to the United States, and y'all can have them mounted in the States. Okay, I'm coming to visit. And, you know... State to state, province to province, they call it provinces. It, it it changes a little bit. In Zulu land, we're actually going to be able to bring the birds home in, in, in baggage. And we'll have all the export document because they're the government and the tax terms, the, the provincial government, they'll do things differently. You go to all the different countries you go to, they all got a different way of doing things. And so that's what, you know, so now that we're, in, and what we've decided we're going to do is because of species diversity and different opportunities and blah, 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 our new South African hunting package is going to be one, the other, or both outfitters working cooperatively. Because let me tell you this, Rocky, we're we're, we're flying Delta Airline. we're flying out of Atlanta. and South Africa is a long way. It is 16 hours on a plane flying out of Delta. First 12 hours ain't bad. Watch TV, you take a nap, maybe eat a snack. Let me tell you what, buddy, that, that last three or four hours, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm okay. I, 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 I've been sitting on this plane long enough. That last hour is the worst because you know it's coming. You can see you on the back the plane's about to land, but it just won't get there quick enough. That's a long way to go. And you know, um, I was gonna go over there and scout. We set this hunt up back in January. I was gonna go over there and scout. And I'd had a client ask about it. I said, "Sure, Go on going with me? Come on with me." And he's going you know, and he he's been to he's been to Azerbaijan, he's been to Mongolia, he's been to Pakistan. He's been to lot. He like he likes that new kind of stuff. He likes he likes doing real Ramsey stuff, scouting and and, and laying things out. And then I had another client join us. And then Ryan Bassam is coming via Sitka, and Jake LaTondra is coming to film it. So we're going to have a nice team. I probably could have got one or two more clients that had asked about it, but but you know because it is exploratory, I just didn't want to you know bring too many people. Now I'll say this: <laughs> I talked a long time about shooting that animal. Shooting that animal over in Africa, Rocky, uh, that that black wildebeest, I it 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 kind of kicked off uh, very nostalgic feeling something some little rumblings and I do deer hunt in Mississippi in the afternoons we don't duck hunt in the mornings we we, we duck hunt we, we, we don't duck hunt the afternoons we duck hunt in the mornings and either sit around and, and drink and tell lies and cook or go deer hunt until dark and then sit around and drink and tell lies and cook and so I do go out and deer hunt some I enjoy it and um next Next week sometime, I turned 53 years old, and on my 50th birthday, ran across something, you know, I'm all in on ducks and birds, but ran across something, a deal going on down there to hunt, and I can tell you all this, for guys who want to just go shoot planes game, you know, kudu, and bled and impalas and spring bucks, and things of that nature, man, Africa's a cheap vacation, and you don't dare go, don't dare go on the right hunt and not take your wife. But it is it is fine. Fine. It's frogs are fun. You know, it, it it is a good vacation. It feeds are good, the accommodations are beautiful. Ride around in high racks if you want to, a lot of sightseeing, get off and track some animals, truck will pick it back up. It's just a real, real fun, uh scenic vacation. And my wife and I went On my fiftieth birthday, just caught a heck of a deal. We thought, and it it was a good deal. And uh, went over there and hunted, just the two of us. And uh, we shot some animals, and had a great time. Didn't bird hunt a bit. You know, I bird hunt a lot, Rocky. But when 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 for vacation, believe it or not, I I don't want to go shotgunning on vacation time. All my clients go duck hunting for vacation. I want to do something a little different. But we went over to Africa, and I, I really, really had a good time. You know, my wife had never shot an animal four, two, three years ago we went over there, and uh, she shot three animals, dropped them dead in her track with a little, that same little 270. Now, we went out and practiced with it in the States, and she just she was a good shot. And uh, we had a great time, and we we'd said, you know, if, if we can ever do this again, it'd be great to bring the kids back. And just wrestling around, we, we found a uh, really good deal. Re- really, just really affordable. Uh, and we, look, we ain't, we ain't rich people. We're just plain old middle-class people like everybody else, and we've been saving for this thing a while. But, but it really was, you know, Free, free airplane tickets. We, we had plenty of miles for that. And so we're going to take our family over there and, uh, Forrest and Parker, Anita and myself are going to go and just, just spend a few days preceding the bird hunting part and and shoot some critters. Really looking forward to it. Looking forward to, looking forward to, uh, kids, looking forward to watching Forrest knock some animals down. Uh, I told me better be sharper. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot them first. To give them a hard time, but we're, we're gonna do that. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I'm, and I'm gonna tell you all this. I, I can't believe this, but if white-tailed deer tasted half as good—I mean, if they tasted half as good as most of those plains game over there—they'd be extinct. Like yeah, warthog. Man, you know, I, I like wild hog around Mississippi. It's all right. I, I've eaten plenty of it since going all the way back to my Texas days. I've eaten plenty of wild hog over the years. But I ain't eaten no warthog. Are you kidding? I ain't eaten no warthog. Wild hog is one thing, but a warthog hog that's an ugly-looking thing. First time I ever had it, they had cured it, smoked it, and brought it out with little pineapples on top like a like a pink Easter ham. I could not believe how suckling it was. And you start talking to Eland and Kudu and, and little the little wildebeest and, uh, golly, sable, which I can't afford a sable, can't afford a cape buffalo. Uh, all of them, they're unbelievable how good they are. It's unbelievable how good those animals are. And so uh, we're, we're going to go have a good time for a few days and then they're coming back when I when I drop them off at the airport. I'm gonna spend the night in a little cheap hotel, and then the following morning, Mike's gonna pick me up. We'll go to the hotel, uh, excuse me, the airport, and, and receive Jake and all the clients. Everybody's coming in on the same flight, same Delta flight. They'll, they'll land about five thirty in the afternoon. We'll get them through customs and wake up the next morning and go shoot past, shoot geese, and shoot ducks. I'm really looking forward to it, Rocky. I, I you know, and 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 now that we I think we've got the taxidermy shipped to the U.S. for American taxidermy figured out. I I, I really think, you know, it's not not important to me, but it's real important to a lot of my clients. You know, they, they are collectors. They collect experiences like myself, but they also collect little pretties to put around the house. And, and, and now that we've got it, now we've got it figured out, you know, in, in terms of sheer diversity of species, Um God, I can't even begin to rattle them all off. Two, two, uh, two species I most want over there. I want the cape shoveler. Uh, did not get a shot last time I duck hunted over there. Both these guys have got them. I want a cape shoveler. It's four shovelers in the world. Northern shoveler here in, the, in North America, the red shoveler down in South America, the Australasian shoveler that you can still hunt in New Zealand, and the Cape shoveler. And if I can, if I can, if I can, if I can close the deal on a Cape shoveler, I'll have the world shoveler slam. I don't collect birds, but it'd be something to say how many people have killed all the shovels of the world, you know. And then there's a another species that really probably doesn't mean much to anybody, but it's called a southern Poachered. Just a plain looking, uh, it, it looks a lot like a, a hen ring neck or a hen redhead, only darker. And the only reason it means something to me is because two of my favorite species in the world are the rosy bill poachard down in Argentina and that red crested poachard over in Azerbaijan. And there's three poachers in that genus, Netta, and the, and the third one is the southern poachard. And if I could just boom boom shoot those two ducks, I'll be happy. Um, and and I really, I'm, I'm looking forward to shoot hot and tight teal, I'm, I'm red bill teal. I really want to get some into some African black ducks, um, and and some, of course, those yellow bills because they work like mallards. And that that that's really uh, that's that's my adventure. That's what I'm I'm looking most forward to. But at the end of the day, Rocky, it, it it's it's like a Client wants to describe, you know, I've got this, I've got good food, I've got good lodging, I've got good memories, I've got this this raw adventure, I've got this species diversity, and besides all that, I'm in Africa, whole big tradition, you know, no matter what you've hunted that day, you're back at camp, take a long time for a red sunset, and and it's just every African camp you go to, what they call a sundowner. They've got a big fire going because remember, it's starting to cool off. Better have your jacket handy. Starting to cool off. And you, you're grilling duck poppers and little, little, little snacks and having you a cold beer or a cold drink around the fire and just watching that old sky turn blood red. Another end of a perfect African day. But yeah, that's where I'm heading next.
0: What is the price comparison, to, say, going to Argentina? About the, it,
1: it, about the same trip, about the same price. yeah, it's about the same. Rocky, we we uh we we stick in there. You know, we we've just we've been doing this long enough. I I know uh I know there's people in this world that just want to spend conspicuous amounts of money. I mean, hey, you can spend fifteen hundred dollars a day down in Argentina if that's your thing. That ain't my thing. It's not my client's thing. You know, we we've uh there's a there's a sweet spot in there, and um. And and just about all the hunts in the world that we deal with are pretty much around that sweet spot of so much a day and all in. But but really and truly the package is very comparably priced to Argentina. The difference is going to be that airfare. That airfare is gonna run you about four or five hundred dollars more flying coach. It's a long flight. You know, Argentina is Leave Dallas and let's leave Atlanta. All things, just do apples out. Leave Atlanta. Fly to Atlanta. That flight leaves about eight thirty and show up, you know, nine hours later, which is perfect. A couple of beers and a, and a five to ten milligrams of ambium, and you're out like a light. You wake up when they start serving breakfast, you brush your teeth, and the plane lands 30, 45 minutes later. You know, just. Africa's 16 hours. That's a haul, son. And, um uh, and, and so it, you know, it's, it's going to be a little more expensive ticket. And, um, we're all flying coach and, and, uh, we had, I just, you know, gosh, much as I travel, I, I, I do air miles and I'm just, I just refuse. I don't know if I'm too cheap or what, but I, I just refuse to spend miles on upgrades. I, I you know, Rocky, I, one time they placed me up first class on a big international flight. Um, one time. I don't, I don't, like I want a pride or something, but you know, I felt, I felt funny sitting up there. And it is, it, it just, I'm not a first class kind of guy in terms of flying. I mean, I would, I'd probably, I'd probably, uh, <clears throat> I'd, I'd, probably I'd probably ride duct tape to the wing if I could save a little money on, on fare, or ride back in the, ride back, in, you know, uh, ride back in the men's room, the lavatory, if they let me, you know, they sell me a cheap ticket back there. I just, I just don't. A lot of my clients will fly first class. That's just not my style. I just, I just I'm happy to be back there with us regular folks, and uh, I, I sleep just fine. You know, watch it. And I watch TV the whole time. Anyway, that's one thing. It's like you've heard me talk about going to Azerbaijan and going to somebody, you know, Australia and New Zealand. When you start getting halfway across the world, there's nothing, really, nothing you can do but just muster it out. You know, and I've, I've warned. I warned everybody that's never been to Africa before on this trip I said, Look, you know, you're gonna get there, sleep and do whatever you think you need to do on the flight over. But I promise you, your first couple of nights in South Africa, you might you might you might you might have a few cocktails and eat enough dessert it knocks you out momentarily, but I promise you at two thirty in the morning you're gonna be staring at the ceiling the first couple of nights. It's just your time is so far off, and uh, at least, at least every time I've been halfway across the world, I'm staring at the ceiling at two thirty at night, and then after a couple, three, four days, it starts to sink in, and, and you, you develop a little bit of habit. But rocket look tra- forward to it. Good
0: night, man. What a traveler! Yeah. I mean, it, it's unbelievable that we are able to be a part and hear about these travels. You know, and visualize these hunts through you in this podcast.
1: I hope, I hope that the next time we meet, I hope while I'm down there, I would really love to just get together, paint the picture for everybody. I'd love to get my guide and Jake and Ryan and myself, maybe a client or two if if they're up for it. They don't, they're neither one of them, big talkers, but we could do another little roundhouse everybody share their experience about what they've seen and what they think and 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 what's so alluring about it. Just kind of paint the picture that'd be a fun little description you know but, but rocky i've I've said this before you know the the good old days are now i you know to me the good old days are now You know we so many of us think about the good old days and we think of our granddaddies and our daddies, you know, back in the day, and uh-uh, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those days back in the 60s and 70s, man, they, they were on a 100 point system, you know, but even then, you know, I know my grandfather Russell passed, my hero passed in 1984, about a week for my high school graduation. He duck hunted. It wasn't a passion. It wasn't a lifestyle. It wasn't all of these qualifiers that that industry media throws out as quantifying hunting. It wasn't, it wasn't any of that to him. Went out with his buddies and duck hunting. Went to duck camp. They cooked. They ate. They hunted. They did a lot, but it didn't define his life. He just was a duck hunter, bird hunter, goose hunter, and. I, 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 I would love so bad to drive up to Greenville and see him today, tomorrow, and, and ask him what he thought about what I'm doing, what we're doing, what my clients are doing. Because I, I know that back in the mid-'80s, he, he could not have conceived of just going to the Jackson Airport, boarding a flight, and waking up next day in duck season somewhere in this, this big beautiful world of ours three hundred sixty five days a year and no it's not cheap. But you know what it's really not it, it it really is uh if you look at these packages we do to include that airfare it's not it's not it you don't have to be a one percenter. You really don't. You might have to save your money a little bit. You might have to pick through your budget. You might have to put on the goal. But it is affordable. It's really not. You know, we all work. We all, we all work. You know, you don't work just to pay bills. There's, there's got to be a prize for all your hard work. Take care of your kids. You take care of your family. You pay your bills. You buy your house. You do your stuff. You build your career. And you, man's got to reward himself. Life's too short not to reward yourself a little bit. Once in a lifetime, whatever. You know what I'm saying? But, but it really is, uh, it really is doable. It's with it's, it's, it's within the reach because, you know, Rocky, a lot of people might think that my clients are one percenters. Some of them are. Some of them are. Most of them aren't. Most of them are just regular folks like me. You know, middle class. That just save and prioritize and go on a few trips. And um, we think we think I think, having been there a few times, pending the results of this exploratory trip. I really think that Africa can be one of those big destinations for people. The, the, the shooting volume is decent. It's not, oh, no, it's not Argentina, but, but it's decent. It's Mexico and, and, and the species diversity and the taxidermy and adventure and the fact that it's an excellent place, excellent place to bring your wife, excellent place to take a spouse. They will love it. They will. My wife loved it. I even let her shoot a couple of animals, but she loved it besides that. You know, it's, no, I mean, it's nothing to go ride an elephant down in Africa. They get, We went to a little park. And, and uh, that's one thing I was going to tell you that time I took my wife. They started talking about this little elephant park it was a few miles down the road. And so we took a morning off, drove down there. And uh, they came out and gave a little 30-minute. Presentation about elephant conservation. And everything else very interesting. I hate to tell y'all, but you know our great great grandkids ain't gonna see probably see wild elephants. You know it's just, it's just a conflict between a big animal with a big home range and a huge appetite versus a, a burgeoning, and explosive population of humanity. They need big chunks of area, and you know they're getting close, smaller and smaller. But I'm not gonna get into all that. And it turns out that uh, I don't know five or six or eight elephants they had they brought out. Were all orphans, and the oldest elephant they had was 20 years old, which is about half grown. Big, I, I can tell you, I'd say he's eight, nine, ten foot tall at the, at the at the shoulders, but he's half grown. They, they max out their size around 35 40 years old, and uh, they, of course, they brought them up, you petted them, and did everything. But you know, the craziest thing I saw, they were talking about how good. Elephant can smell. How good their memory are how they're, they're supposed to be one of the second or third most intelligent animals on earth, mammals. Second, maybe on i saying second, maybe only humans. Probably more smart than a lot of humans, but uh, very intelligent animal. And so there must have been twenty or thirty people in the crowd standing around, you know, looking at these animals and kind of get and He said, "Hey, I need some of y'all to step up." He pointed to about five or six of us we stepped up. And he said, and he pointed at me and said, take a shoe off. Take a shoe off. I took my crock off and held it up. And that elephant started touching it with his trunk. He said, say your name. I said, Ramsey. He said, say your name again. I said, Ramsey. He said, say your name a third time. I said, Ramsey. And eight of us did that. And he took our shoe and threw it in a pile about five, ten foot behind that elephant. And then he uh threw about eight shoes and croc and whatnot back in that pile, and he, and he and he said, he said, get Ramsey's shoe. And elephant spun around and took his trunk, stumbled through, picked up that camo croc, brought it back, and handed it to me. That's pretty cool. Wow. They're a smart animal. And and uh, they're real they're real family oriented. Like he would, they were saying that, uh, they bond because they're right. They're, they're coming as orphans, just baby orphans. They bond with their handler. And sometimes their handler don't work just 24 seven. You know, he's, he's got to have a day off for his family or two. And sometimes an, an elephant will be pouting his, his bond in there and, and, and he'll get, you know, if they get upset and get in a bad mood, you know, they're a big animal and they can be a little unruly. So they have to call the handler to come in and, you know, Assured him everything's cool. But one thing you don't see in South Africa anymore are rhinoceroses. Nobody. Like the guy we hunted had, I don't know, 150,000, 200,000 acres. And I asked him, I said, Christopher, uh, are we going to see any rhinos? He goes, Good Lord, no. No. You will not see a rhinoceros on anybody's property down here anymore, Ramsey. He said, they're all under, they're all under protection. They're all in certain areas, literally being protected with machine guns. He said, so dangerous would it be for me to have a rhinoceros on my property this day and age. He said, the money that the bottom land poacher gets for that horn, it's jump change compared to us. But it might be two years equivalent income for him, he'll kill everybody on his ranch to get that that, that rhino, everybody. He said, so they're all gone. He said, it, it's too dangerous to have that rhino on us. And he got to tell me, we got back that evening to eat supper with everybody. They I went off, you know, rode the elephant, saw the elephant, and went to a little cheetah farm. And, man, look, petting them cheetahs, they probably raised them kittens. Petting them was like uh, petting a big old calico cat. They wasn't, I mean, they didn't hardly open the eyes, you know. Uh, they were so docile. We came back, and Anita actually went out that evening. We had a little, a couple of hours, and we went out and shot an impala. She went and shot an impala. And then we came back, we are eating dinner, and Christopher said, Ramsey, uh, y'all went to the elephant park? And I said, yes, or He goes, Did do you remember which elephant you rode or y'all saw? I said, well, yeah, I, I don't remember his name, but it was the, the big one. It was the 20-year-old. He goes, let me tell you a story about him. He said, the last rhino, uh just two years ago, before we got rid of him, we had uh some poachers come in and poach one of our rhinos. It's rocket's horrible. They they go in and just shoot these things with collision calls. They don't just die. I mean, they just butcher them. And then when they finally find them, living or dead, when that animal's subdued enough, they can saw that horn off. They saw them horns off and leave it there to rot. And off they go. And he says, and, and, and I could not believe how staff there could track an animal. I, I mean, it's like you're you're. it's hard-baked earth with a little film of dust on it. Track on top of track on top of track on top, just just a, a rut of hooved animals. I never forget one time I was walking trying to find a heart of beast. That guy would stop, he'd look at those tracks and he'd point his old long bony finger to the right or left or whatever. I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking down at them tracks going, he's lying. He's just walking around like he's tracking, just hoping we walk up on this thing. I mean, there ain't no way. Must be 200. Hoof tracks a square foot. We fought right up to them. Them guys can track. You hear me? They can track. They can track across this hardwood floor. They can track. So Christopher, when that rhino got poached, the law of the land down there is, is poacher is the lowest of the low. They don't even get a short piece of rope hung. They get killed on sight. He brought in all the trackers. They couldn't find these guys, but they knew they didn't leave. Somehow or another, they knew. They were, they were somehow on that property, running a cold camp, just waiting to slip out. And he called that elephant farm, and all the trackers just were drawing straws couldn't find them. He called down to that elephant farm, and they brought that 20 year old, 22 year old elephant that Anita and I had ridden. They brought him down, and they took him to the kill site of that rhino. And in an hour and a half, that elephant trailed. Those poachers, three days old, three days that rhino had been sitting there rotting, and they turned that elephant loose, and in an hour and a half, he struck up a three-day-old trail and led the posse right to those poachers' camp where they were killed on site. That dang elephant tracked them, three days old, tracked them right to that poachers' camp. That's amazing. Wow. That's just unbelievable. And, and you know, hey, we're going to have fun. But isn't that, isn't it kind of cool what you learn and see when you when you reach out around the world? But I believe the good old days are now. The fact that that we can just God it just blows my mind that you can just go step on a plane and fly a coach and land anywhere in the world tomorrow. I, my granddaddy couldn't have couldn't have he couldn't have conceived that. You know. But anyway, Rocky, I'm I'm looking forward to it, son. Man, that's a long trip. Be
0: careful. You, you, you come back and then you, you head out to Argentina and then you're back for about a week, right?
1: Yes, sir. I'll, I'll, I'll be back. Uh, we get back, get back in about mid-June and I'll be home for seven or eight days. I think seven days. Land on a Friday and leave on a Friday. And, and then it's going to be a grind fest down in Argentina and, uh, we'll be, we'll be going back to Rio Salado looking forward to it and it is wet 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 and it is unbelievable i had some clients that went last totally year totally different year
0: because oh, it was dry dry well, dry you know, last year
1: I, i've said it i've said it you know i hate to say you know we've seen those droughts here in the, in the south where where your favorite oxbow is bone dry or soup mud and you know <clears throat> you've seen those droughts where these breaks dry up but you know you've got to have that uh, a wetland has to have dry periods for the soil to oxidize and everything to do its thing to stay productive. And, and last year, that marsh just dried up to hardly nothing. Ducks were far and few between relative to Argentina. And vegeta- vegetation restored itself. Soils oxidized. It caught a big deep of breath. And, man, I've got a couple of clients that were down there last year. And they enjoyed it, but it wasn't what they wanted. and we were talking a few months ago. And I told them, I said it's wet, It's wet, and uh, they trust me. They're they're good clients, and both of them they hunted yesterday morning. Got more ducks than they've ever ever shot ever shot. One of them, one of them goes to Argentina every year for a month. More ducks than they've ever shot. They both rebook for ten days next year on, based on the first morning. This morning I had three more clients show up. They sent word they wanted to come for the same ten days based on one morning. It, it's unbelievable what a difference a year makes. So I'm, I'm, but I'm going back down there to film. I, I just want to film a, a wet year. We got a real nice program down there last year. I want to film a good wet year, not just not tons of, uh, not tons of crazy, you know. But, but. I don't. We don't make a kill fest film. We just want to go down and film a wet year and all that good stuff. Show the margin the wet. Then I'm we'll gonna jump down to Las Flores. Several weeks with clients, and I'm gonna jump back up to La Paz with a combo hunt, join some some good friends and clients, and I'm gonna finish up uh, with Rio Salado again and come on home. In fact, I'm not even coming home. I'm going straight to Houston, Texas for Texas Trophy Hunter event. But yeah, it, it, it's it's. I've been home, Rocky. I've been home for six, seven weeks, and it's just time to hit the road i got a lot of need to do stuff home done at home but now i got a lot of need to do stuff on the road i gotta do so it's that time of year again
0: well bud be careful we'll get together i'll be texting with you while you're down there thank you again ramsey we want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the end of the line podcast powered by dr South.com.